with Hashem's loving grace. First of all, we thank our host with the Torch Organization in Texas. Hashem should bless them. They should be successful. And it is a privilege and a delight for Amuna Beams over in Israel to cooperate with them. They're brothers in arms, and it's, it's, it's a delight to be here. We continue on this evening with Hashem's loving grace. We continue with the second discourse of Likutei Moaran. And the second discourse, this is the fourth lesson in the second discourse. And we all time try to review to get everybody on, on, on track. And we mentioned Rabbi Nachman's teachings are so very deep. This particular week, a person has to have a really to understand what Rabbi Nachman is talking about, a strong background in Kabbalah. I sent everyone a chart as a learning aid. I'm going to explain it. Don't be... Uh, don't be overwhelmed by that chart, but it, we're going to go and explain it at the end of today's lesson. Okay, today's lesson is Shining Souls. We're going to learn the anatomy of prayer. We're going to learn the dynamics of what happens when our prayers go up, when our prayers don't go up, when our prayers get answered, our prayers don't get answered, and what, it, what what's happening. The Spirit said this is really, it's gripping and interesting. When somebody learns on face value, it's just, uh, it, this is, there's a forest. But in the forest, there's so many wonderful little things to look at. Uh, there's every little plant and every little insect and every little bird. And there's so much to this. the same Rebbe Nachman's teachings are a kaleidoscope. Okay, so this week in our lesson, Snaps, what we're going to learn tonight is the ability of powerful prayer and what powerful prayer could do. And powerful prayer can rejuvenate a soul. It can illuminate a soul. And not only that, we're going to learn about influence, way to invoke divine influence. Uh, you know, they used to have, uh, they have cloud dusters. They call them in Israel and cloud dusters to induce rain. They have a, a chemical, a silver nitrate, where they go and they spray this on, on, on the clouds and it induces the rain. And this is it's, it's like an example. It's a metaphor for Kabbalah. We can, with our prayers, we can induce the rain, induce the divine abundance now, imagine that the rain, the divine abundance, comes from the clouds down to us. And we know rain is a big blessing. Rain comes from the heavens. But there is the way that we can induce it. How do we induce it? We do so in our prayers. And the Gemara has full of stories about this, how our prayers can induce rain and tractate tanit. Okay, so we're going to talk about how to induce divine abundance. And this is a, a lesson for all of us. A lesson that would be very practical, very deep, but very, very practical. And we'll try to keep this our best at eye level. And so uh, I, I figure if I, if it can be understandable for me, that it can be understandable for anyone here, because I can't see anyone in our list of participants that's less intelligent than me. No. So if I can understand it, then everybody else can understand it. And I try to keep it simple for myself. So you know, just to review our previous lesson, in our previous lesson, we learned that a person attains the merit of mishpat. Mishpat is justice through charity. When a person gives charity, a person hones in on the target. Now, mishpat, which is justice, we explain that this is a mitigation of stern judgment on the left and complete mercy and compassion on the right. So justice, when we add justice to our prayers, we go from the far right, we go from the far left, and we hone in on the middle, and that is the way we get our prayers answered. Because get our prayers answered, we have to keep them to the middle. We learned, uh, we learned the Partsufim two weeks ago, 
And this is the divine personifications. And there's a right side, a left side, and a middle side. And even so, there's a holy right side, which is chesed, and a holy left side, which is gavor. There's the middle side, and the middle side is the way the prayers go up, and it's the way the divine abundance comes down. So we try to keep on target, and that's in the middle. And we attain that aspect of giving charity before we pray. So everybody should have a little charity box in your house, whatever you like, your favorite charity. It could be uh, United Way. It could be Salvation Army. It could be a Shiva. It could be whatever you like. It could be Torch. It could be whatever you like. Whatever you like, what you believe in, whatever you want to support. And before you pray, take a hey penny, take a nickel, a dime, put it in the, in what we call it in Yiddish, the pushka, put it in the tzedakah box, in the charity box. And this open. This helps, as Rabbi Nachman says. This keeps you on track, and this is why before we pray every single prayer, we have a charity box in the synagogue and whoop, deposit a half a shekel, a shekel in the charity box, wherever you want. So when a person gives charity, what happens when a person gives charity? When a person gives charity, a person emulates his or her father in heaven. Now, what satisfaction do you get? When your kids, you see your kids emulating you. Now, if it's a good trait, well, it's wonderful. But <laughs> if it's one of your not so good traits, it gets you angry. But Hashem doesn't have no, not good traits. Hashem is only Hashem is perfection. When Hashem sees us emulating him, just like he's charitable and we're charitable and he feeds the poor and we feed the poor and he helps the sick and we help the sick. When Hashem sees that we act like us. This opens up tremendous divine compassion. So when a person gives charity, a person is emulating Shem, and we learn the charity brings up one person and brings down another person. Has it lift up or lifts up the poor person and brings down the rich person? So we're actually judging ourselves when we're taking our own money and we're saying that there are people that are less fortunate than we are, or that causes that need our help, and we uplift them because they need our help. So by need our help, we are influencing, and this is one spiritual law. Holiness only gives. Holiness influence. The dark side takes. The Almighty doesn't take anything. The Almighty doesn't need anything from us. He only gives. Only gives. Everything gives to us all day long. He gives us our oxygen, gives us our heartbeat, gives us our food, gives us our water, gives, 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 gives. And you see the dark side, it takes, it takes. It tries to hone in like a leech. Leeches come from the dark side. Parasites come from the dark side. Because they come, they take, they take, they take. And this is a, this is, this is a, a lesson that we should learn. Holiness gives and the dark side takes. So what you should know, this is how you recognize, you recognize where someone comes from the good side, the, the good team or the bad team. We can say, wait a second, I'm giving to a charity and the charity is taking from me. No, the charity is taking from you in order to give to other people. They give to, if you have an upright charity, they take a minimum, a minimum for themselves. They'll take a stamp to put on an envelope and they'll, they'll deduct that from the charity. But they, they take a minimum for themselves. And it's not the people that are trying to make money for themselves. You can see why what the, what the charity is doing. Okay, so in a charity, it lifts up other people. So it's a side of good. And the person that's giving is also a side of good because it's giving. And even though someone that takes, take a purpose, oh, cool, well, he's you know, the first person, poor person takes my money, he's taking, he's not, but no, he's not taking. He is using your money for sustenance. And that, that person, that's what we have to give to the upright poor people. We don't give to a 
poor person that's on the street, you want to give me money, give me money so you can have a fix, that, that, that a narcotic. No, hey, listen, I'll give you money so you can go to rehab. That, yes. All right, so you get back. But you see, a, a, you have an upright poor person, and if he can't eat, he can't serve the Almighty. And he can't have sustenance to pray to do good things. So we're helping him be a giver also. And this is what Maimonides and the laws of charity says is the greatest form of charity when we can help other people be givers and not takers. And that, that's great. So what's the greatest form of charity? Take a poor person and you give that per- person employment. And now the person isn't for hand Now the person will be able to make an income and he'll be able to give also. So we see when a person, any way you look at it, when a person gives charity, a person acts like a shem, acts like the almighty. But the important thing is for the charity to be good, it has to come from a holy person. The more that a person is on a level of personal holiness, in other words, uh, if a drug pusher tithes the money he makes, I don't know how effective that's going to be. And I know many people that uh, they're careful about who they do, many institutions and charitable institutions that uh, they're selective about who they take. They don't want to take they don't want to take money that's not that's dishonest money. Uh, I know I've know stories about uh, mafia people that wanted blessings from big rabbis and want to give them a lot of money. And I said, no, not not like that. Not 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 with that money. No, sir, because they they have a. a a person with a spirit, what we learned in the first lesson of, of the second discourse, that Mashiach will be able to smell the fear of Hashem, the awe of Hashem. He'll be able to smell honesty. He can smell honesty because the smell of holiness has a smell of Garden of Eden. And the smell of unholiness, the smell of something that is illegal, dishonest, hurts other people. It has a spiritual stench to it. And people who are spiritually sensitive, they can actually smell. They can actually smell if there's good smell or bad smell. Okay, so we also learned in previous lessons, uh, we're going through all of the the first three lessons of of the the, uh, discourse, second discourse. We also learned that the extraneous thoughts that distract us from prayer, we learned about last week, they come from an imbalance of justice, too much right or too much left, and we're not in the middle. And that blurs, they're like clouds. If our eyes are, are truth, the eyes in the middle of our, they're, they're truth, then these come with too much mercy, it blinds us. And too much severe judgment blinds us. When we judge another person sternly, that blinds us. We can't have an honest judgment. And when we look at a crook and say only, oh, mercy, 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 then that's not judgment either. So too much to the right, too much to the left are like clouds. The Torah says this, the Torah says that, if a judge receives a bribe, then he becomes blind. He gets a spiritual blindness and he can't judge fairly. So when we have, uh, we succumb to bodily lust, bodily lust is a bribe because bodily lust tries to bribe our judgment and do something in favor. If it is between choosing between Hashem's Torah and Hashem's commandments and our bodily lust, uh, when a person judges, as soon as a person as soon as a person chooses bodily lust, then the judgment becomes cloud, clouded. This is uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 16. The Torah says, for bribery blinds the eyes of the wise. We're not talking about a, a, a silly person, uh, even a wise person. If a wise person takes the slightest bribe, then it blinds him. 
And we could say, if you take one penny, take one penny and put it right in front of a person's eye, you can't see. You can't see. It's blinding. Okay, it's like a little coin, one penny, we can't see. First, as soon as a person has money, and it doesn't matter how much, in front of his eyes, instead of justice, then he can't judge fairly. So in the future that we're all waiting for Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, Isaiah the prophet tells us that true justice will be restored because Zion will be received, redeemed through justice. This will be the rebuilding of Zion and her captives through charity. In other words, we're captives because we're spread out all over the world in diaspora, and we'll be able to come back to Jerusalem to see Mashiach, to see Messiah, and our rebuilt holy temple, and the presence, the divine presence right in Israel, and that's what we're looking forward to. Okay, so now we continue on. We continue on. If you're following in the Hebrew, we are in Ot Vav, letter Vav, and I'm going to read the Hebrew and then translate it and then explain it. Okay, in the Hebrew, you could follow along. We're learning a new concept now that a person has to have a certain intent in his prayers. And now listen, this is very cardinal teaching in Rabbi Nachman's teaching. That a person should connect himself to the righteous of the generation. That every true righteous individual in the generation is a spark of Moses. Okay, the, the Gemara says that uh, the nickname of a generation's righteous man, we're talking about not just any person that's righteous, we're talking about the spiritual leader, the righteous, true spiritual leader of the generation. His nickname is Moses. The Gemara nicknames Moses. When the, what, what the Gemara is telling us, it's actually a Kabbalistic teaching in the Gemara that in every generation, there is a spirit of Mashiach. For example, the Chabad Hasidim, the Lubavitcher Hasidim, they thought that the Lubavitcher Rebbe was Mashiach. They could have been right, because it could very well that the Lubavitcher Rebbe had the soul of Mashiach in the generation, but the generation wasn't yet prepared for it. And so Hashem didn't reveal it, didn't let him reveal it. This is through many generations. But we're going to hone in on this concept also, try to take it slow. Because each Sadik as an aspect of Moshe. All right. And that's what it's called. And there's a, there is in chapter 49 of Genesis, there is an indication of that. And the blessing that Jacob gave to his sons, it says, until they come to Shiloh. Shiloh was where the tabernacle was before it was in Jerusalem, before the temple was built in Jerusalem. It was at 300 years, the time of Samuel the prophet. If we take the Hebrew word Shiloh, Shiloh, and we take the numerical value of the letters, they come out the exact same numerical value of Moshe, of Moses. And that's we say Shiloh is an indication of Moses, right? So that's we say Shiloh will come. And this is what the Zohar says, that this is the indication. It's the hint in chapter 49 of Genesis. That uh, when we say Shiloh will come, we're talking about Mashiach is going to come because both Moshe and Shiloh, they, they, Moshe and Shiloh, they both have a numerical value of 345. Moshe is Mem, it's a 40, a Shin is 300, a Hey is five, together 345. All right. Now, people ask me, hey, wait a second, time out on the field. What's this connection that I have to connect my prayers to the righteous man of the generation? Hold it, Laser, what are you talking about? 
Have you ever heard of Rabbi Tuvia Singer's lessons against Christianity and we don't need an intermediary and this and that? Now you're talking about intermediaries and this is Hasidic teaching? What are you talking about? This is a famous question that people ask on Rabbi Nachman's teachings, chapter two, and they don't understand it. We'll explain. The difference between an intermediary and other religions is meaning that you got to go to the man, okay? And the man, they say that the man is a deity and you got to pray to the man and you got to repent to the man and the man has to intercede for you and you don't go to Hashem. No way. No way. What do we do personal prayer for? This is Rabbi Nachman's cardinal teachings. We talk to Hashem in our own words every single day. So what's this whole thing of connecting ourselves to the righteous person? Well, the righteous person is not an intermediary. He's a guide. If you're a soldier, let's suppose, okay, you're from, you're from Dallas and you get deployed overseas in Afghanistan. Excuse me, sir, you know your way around downtown Dallas. You may even know by heart, uh, you could drive blindfolded to Houston or San Antonio, but you don't know your way around Afghanistan. And you don't know the language there and you don't know the locals. So you better get yourself a local scout to get you through the territory. Okay, you still got to do the fighting. The scout, he's not going to fight for you, but he's going to get you through that enemy territory. This is the purpose of the tzaddik. We pray. Okay, the tzaddik, he knows the path, how to get that prayer, how to help get that prayer up to where it's going, to get to it's going. And what is, we have to accept, and this is uh, what we've been learning in Ways of the Righteous on Wednesday night, is a matter of humility when a person knows he's not the big man on the campus, that they're, a person, they're people on a higher level. We accept the fact that the tzaddik, the righteous man is in a higher spiritual level. Now, this is great advantage to be connected to such an individual. For example, if you want a spiritual guide, my suggestion, people ask me, uh, Rabbi, what's the first thing you have to look for in a spiritual guide? First thing you have to look for is who's his spiritual guide, that he doesn't think he's the, he's the, 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 the he's top gun. And this is right. I don't budge without the Melitzer Rebbe. Don't budge. We'd have Rebbe Nachman as my Rebbe in the next world. The Melitzer Rebbe is my Rebbe in this world. Okay. We ask questions. Uh, like it, I'm not on the spiritual level where I could go to Uman and talk to the gravesite and get a, a, an answer that, that I hear. There are people, they may feel they can answer. Oh, but I got a question. Do I do this or do I do that? That ask the Melitzer Rebbe because the Melitzer Rebbe is on a much, much higher level. I'm glad it, but Hashem, Hashem, that, that, that thank, thank goodness on a higher spiritual level, because by being connected with the tzaddik, we get uplifted. It's like having a great coach, a great commander. You're in the army, you go through basic training, you've got a commander that you're, you're brand new, you're, you're green, you're, you're a recruit, you're in boot camp, and you've got this drill sergeant, he's been in four wars already. He knows what's going on. He's going to help you and he's going to help you. He's going to help you listen to him and you learn what he's got to teach you and it's going to save your life. And this is the thing, the same thing. This is the whole connection, the whole connection with a spiritual guide. A spiritual guide helps us go where we need to go. And the fact that he's on such a higher level than we are, he helps lifts us up. So we all need a connection to a spiritual guide. And there's a more, we're going to see what he does with the prayers. So this is not an intermediary not don't pass gold, don't collect $200. We're not talking about an intermediary. We're talking about a guide. There's a big difference between a guide and intermediary. We don't pray to the guide. We pray to God. Okay. It's not the guide. 
not this way, not the way, it's only that, only that. Our heart, our mind, everything is to God. But while we're doing, we're doing together. We are binding ourselves. Not only that, even more than that, Rabbi Nachman talks about binding ourselves to the, the righteous generation. We bind ourselves to each other. We bind ourselves to each other. Before we say blessing on the wine on Friday night, uh, and we say what's called the Kiddush, the Kiddush prayer, we say there's so many deep, 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 everyone on, on, on their level. If we talk about Rabbi Yitzchak Ari Luria, Yitzchak uh, Ashkenazi Luria, the father of Kabbalah, what he said, word for word, deep secrets, deep secrets. So we say to ourselves, Hashem, accept our prayers as if they're said with all the deepest secrets. And says so it's the deepest secrets, we connect ourselves to the tzaddikim who know the deep secrets. So that when their prayers get in the door, my prayers go in the door with them. Even though my prayers alone, maybe they're not worth it. But the fact, oh, you're connected? You're connected? You're part of the congregation? The fact that you're part of the congregation, we're connected, we go together. And this is it's a, what I, what I, why I tell people, uh, not only Jews, but Noahides, network, network, be in contact. And we're going to be in contact with one another. And, and, and this is why we learn together and we pray together. And it all goes because we're all going together up to Hashem. So it's, we get uplifted together, but it's not going through anybody else. Heaven forbid, heaven forbid. Every single person, every single person are distressed that you have your own personal relationship with Hashem. And this is the core of Rabbi Nachman's teachings. Rabbi Nachman, he is the master of personal prayer. We call him the master of prayer. He's a master of personal prayer. And he is the master. He's the one that tells us to, uh, culti- to, to cultivate our own personal relationship with the Almighty. So how could the same tzaddik to tell us to cultivate our own personal relationship with the Almighty be talking about a go-between? And this is what we say to the Misnagdim, the people that oppose Rabbi Nachman, they don't know what he's talking about. They have no idea what he's talking about. So in order to know what he's talking about, excuse me, learn what a person is talking about before you argue with him. But there's this historical thing that a lot of people, when we're talking within Judaism, that oppose Rabbi Nachman. And Rabbi Nachman said, that's a, Rabbi Nachman said he cannot, his teachings can't come to the world without opposition on the field. Because if it's so easy, it happens, it happens all the time. We teach Rabbi Nachman's teachings and, and teach it the right way. It's a, the, two weeks ago, our, our microphone broke. And, and, and the three weeks ago, we had camera difficulties. And, and last week, if you saw the replay, it was this tiny little replay because it was the wrong uh uh, the wrong resolution. All this kind of stuff. It's all good stuff. All good stuff. I, uh, Rabbi Wolby, when we first started the lessons, he says, what's going on here? I said, it can't be otherwise. It can't be otherwise. I've been waiting for right before we came on. I came on a little bit late tonight because I had to change cameras. The camera that last night worked beautifully, boom, doesn't work. Okay, so this is this is part of the turf. This is part of the turf. And this is what we talked about, Esau's angel. When Esau's angel's on the field, they were doing the right thing. They were doing the right thing. And what the Melitzer Rebbe always tells me, he says, if you don't have opposition on the field, uh-uh. <laughs> I've taken you off the playing field. Okay, so now we continue on. And what uh, we learn from another great Kabbalist, his name was Rebbe Moshe Cordovero, and he says a principle that Rebbe Nachman alludes to, that the tzaddikim, the righteous men, they build they build the level of the divine presence. 
In other words, they they make the construction, the layer of divine presence. What does that mean? That sounds very cryptic. We're going to learn about that. Okay, because now I can explain what happens to prayer. Explain it in Hebrew, say in Hebrew and then in English. Okay, Rabbi Nachman continues and he says, Wow, Rabbi Nachman is getting into some deep stuff. He says, every prayer we say, you know what your prayers are? You can't believe it. Your prayers, who gave you the power to pray? Didn't come from you. Everything a prayer. This is what Moses complained to the Almighty. He says, Hashem, I, I can't do be a messenger. I, I, I stutter. Moses stuttered. And Hashem said to Moses, who gives a person a mouth? Who gives a word? Every word in your mouth, I give you. So if I tell you to go to Pharaoh, to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, you go. Okay. Most like with Hashem. Misam pela adam. And this is what Hashem doing. Every word in our mouth, Hashem gives us. It's a gift. When we pray, Hashem is giving us a gift to talk to him, to pray to him. It's, it's mind boggling. Now, what is that gift? Every prayer that we pray, in fact, every word that we pray, it is a limb of the divine personification, the divine presence. presence. It's only a more metaphor, but that's why two weeks ago we learned about the personifications, the different parts of him. When we have the malchut, that's the shechina, that's the divine presence. And in order, the ball game is for Mashiach to come, she has to be rebuilt. What is Mashiach? Mashiach comes from the shechina, and the shechina, that's the divine presence. The word shechina comes from the word mishkan, which is the holy tabernacle. That comes from the sphere of Malchut, the kingship. And guess where Amunah comes from? That same sphere. Amunah is right there. So when we strengthen ourselves in Amunah down here, and Amunah, the manifestation of Amunah is prayer, we rebuild the Shekhinah. And we build the Shekhinah. Then once the Shekhinah is rebuilt, then from above the Third holy temple will just drop down right and rebuild Jerusalem. And Rabbi Nachman telling us right here, this is this is Mashiach news. Call Evrea Mishkan Shem Shumachad Beisrael Yachol Ala Shaifa Ad LeDuchta Elman. Every so, what does this mean that your prayers are limbs of the divine personification? If we look at the tabernacle, and now let's understand the tabernacle in the Torah. That Moses, before we had the temple, the temple was later. The temple was the time of King Solomon. But until the time of King Solomon, all the way to King David, King David couldn't build the temple because he was a warrior and he had so much blood in his hands. And King Solomon was not a warrior. He didn't have blood in his hands. Hashem wanted, since the temple is a symbol of peace, Hashem wanted King Solomon to build the temple. So he said, David, you're not going to build the temple. Your son will build the temple. But King David, he brought the tabernacle to Jerusalem. And this is the city of David. When you visit Jerusalem, that's where the tabernacle was before the Holy Temple was built, right there down the street where the Kotel is, where the Western Wall, the remnant of our Holy Temple. Okay, so what happens in the tabernacle? The tabernacle is the manifestation. It's like one big metaphor of the divine presence. Now, you know, I'll give you an example. Every single component of the tabernacle corresponds to a limb of the divine presence. For example, we learn in Kabbalah that the Holy Ark, 
the Holy Ark. You remember the famous, maybe I think uh, one of the most famous Noahides that ever lived in the last hundred years was uh, Mendel Jones. That the, the, the movie Lost in the Ark, Lost Ark, that was made after him. Was an archaeologist. Okay, and uh, I think I think Mendel was from Texas also. Okay, so he taught discovery of the Lost Ark. Lost Ark, according to Kabbalah, the Ark that held the tablets. That is the heart that corresponds to the heart of the divine presence, because that was the heart of the Holy of Holies. That was the heart of the tabernacle. We take the menorah, the candelabra with the seven, seven branches, the seven branch candle. It's not the menorah that we light on Hanukkah with eight branches and seven branches. This corresponds to the faith, the seven entrances of, of, of spirituality, two eyes, two ears, two nostrils and a mouth. Okay, that's where the seven comes from. Every single component in the the Holy Tabernacle, it corresponds to a limb, a component, say limb or component, whatever, a part of the divine presence. And again, it's all metaphor. And this is explanation from the famous Kabbalist Rabbi Moshe Cordovero that Rabbi Nachman is building on. Rabbi Nachman is here. Now, wait a second. Okay, beloved brothers, beloved sisters, we don't need an intermediary. Who knows how to take their prayers and to take those parts of the heavenly tabernacle and put it together? You know, down here, if you open up the Torah, Hashem gave two young men amazing divine wisdom, an amazing divine spirit. One was Bitzalel, and the other was Aholiav. And they were, Aholiav was from the lowest tribe, the tribe of Dan. And Bitzalel was from the most prestigious tribe, the tribe of Judah. But it goes to show that it doesn't matter what your lineage is and who you are, that anyone could just, just like what Bitzalel could do. And Bitzalel was from the family of, uh, of Judah. And he was also, their family was intermarried, the family of Moses. And Aholiav, he was from the lowest tribe, tribe of Dan. But he made it up on a high level. He made it up on a high level. They were the artisans that took the gold, took the silver, took the copper, uh, took the fine skins, the colorful skins. Then there was a unicorn. At the time of the tabernacle, there was a unicorn. And the unicorn had this skin that shined in the sun and was like a kaleidoscope. And after the temple was built that didn't need unicorns anymore. And they're going, this is called the Tachash. The Tachash, the unicorn in, in the Torah is right in the Torah. It's right in the Torah, Tachash. Okay. And so they knew how to take these skins and how to take the gold, how to take the silver, how to take the copper and how to make the components. But they didn't know how to con- erect the tabernacle. The only one that knew how to erect the tabernacle to put each part in its place was Moses. And this is what Rabbi Nachman is telling us in our prayers. Since our prayers correspond to the parts of the tabernacle, we need a Moses. Okay, that's fine. We're, we're, bringing, we're bringing to the tabernacle. We're bringing our gold. We're bringing our silver. Our, our prayers are our gold, our silver. Our prayers are the components, the, the raw materials of the, of, of the tabernacle, the, this heavenly tabernacle. And we have a they're great Sadiqim. Like they may be on the level of uh, next lower level below Moses, that they're the artisans, but they don't know how to build, they know how to make the tools, but they don't know how to put them together. Only Moses knows how to do that. Now, go one step further that's not illicit 
in in this in this discourse, but this is what we call Torah Shabalpet. This is the oral teachings and breastlifts we get from teacher to student, the teacher to student, the teacher to student, that there are five souls of Moses from the beginning of time to the end of time. The first is Moses himself. What did Moses do? Moses brought down the written Torah. The, Moses left the world. The baton was passed to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. What did Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai bring? That's Rashbi, that's Barry Miran. And he wrote the Zohar. He brought down the esoteric Torah. This was passed on to the uh, 16th century Kabbalist, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria Ashkenazi in Sfat. He was the father of Kabbalah, the Torah of Kabbalah. He passed to the world. He, the soul passed on to Rabbi Yisrael Balshemtov. He passed on the Torah of Hasidus. Okay, this was even, we're talking about uh, the early 1700s in the Ukraine. And Rabbi, the, the Balshemtov, the Holy Balshemtov passed on and he passed the soul unto Rabbi Nachman, his great grandson. And so Rabbi Nachman knows these secrets. Rabbi Nachman knows the secrets of Amuna. Uh, most of my teachings on Amuna, <laughs> they're based on Rabbi Nachman. They're based on Rabbi Nachman. And Rabbi Nachman brings them from all over. And then we learn. We go and learn from, from different sources. But Rabbi Nachman is the teacher of Amuna. Rabbi Nachman is one who tells us that in this last generation, before Mashiach, attaining Amuna. It's going to be like climbing a glass wall with your fingertips. That's why we need his teachings so, so badly. And Amuna is prayer. Rabbi Nachman is a master of prayer. We say wherever you put the puzzle fits perfectly. And Rabbi Nachman says in Yiddish, he has an expression. He says, my fire will burn until Mashiach, which he's indicating, not telling us. But we talk about the tzaddik on the level of Moses. We're talking about Rabbi Nachman Breslev. He knows how to do. Rabbi Nachman said, he said, and he teaches in this Torah also that the ability of the tzaddik to do wonders, to do good, is even stronger after he leaves the physical world than it is while he's in the physical world. And that's why people go to the grave sites of, of tzaddikim. Okay, so we say that every single prayer we pray, it is a limb of the shrina, and that corresponds, it's, it's like a, a part of the, the mishkan, the tabernacle. And what it says in Exodus chapter 39, it talks about the Jewish people. They all brought the tabernacle to Moses. They've all brought the part. Everybody brought their the tools. They all came to Moses. Moses put it together. And it says in chapter 40 of Exodus, and Moses erected the tabernacle. Rabbi Nachman says that to erect, to bring Mashiach and to rebuild the holy temple, Moses has to erect the tabernacle. And that's why we connect ourselves by connecting ourselves to the tzaddik, to the tzaddik on level Moses, we are connecting him. He is taking our prayers and he's doing wonderful things with our prayers. It's like uh, you go to the supermarket and you buy a really nice steak and you bring it home to your wife and she cooks it for you. Okay. She can't, she can't cook it. If you don't bring her the steak, she can't cook anything. Okay, but it's, you're not going through your wife. You're going together with your wife. And sometimes in, in some houses, the wife buys the steak and brings the husband. And he does the cooking. He puts it on the grill. It doesn't matter, but we're doing this together. We're binding ourselves together. A husband and wife are bound together. It's not that one is subservient to the other. One is going through the other. They are doing things together. And we bind ourselves. I'll give you another example of what we're talking about by binding ourselves. Okay, let's suppose... Uh, 
Okay, I meet Fumani. And we 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 be like, hey Fumani, what's going on? Fine. He says, uh, Fumani's got that, he's got this stack of charcoal. And uh I said, what are you gonna do with charcoal? He says, I need a match. I said, guess what? I gotta pack your matches. All right. So now uh laser and fumani did not start a charcoal fire. Okay, so it comes along Mike and Barb. Mike and Barb said, hey, guys, what are you doing with that charcoal fire? So we don't know. Okay, Mike and Barb, come bring us some, some meat. And they, they bring on the meat. Okay, comes along John Talbot. John Talbot says, hey, what, what's going on here? He says, oh, we got uh, some meat on the fire. He says, well, guess what? I got some potatoes. Let's roast some potatoes. Okay, one by Eric John comes along. Eric John says, hey, guys, are you, 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 you eating it? But I guess what? I got a whole uh, a case of drinks here. And everybody comes along and it comes a great big party. A great big party. And it all started out. With Fumani, with a lot of wood, with a new pile of wood. But we come together, everybody brings what he has. And this is exactly the way our prayers work to make things simply. And this is what Rebbe Nachman is talking about. We're bringing our prayers to the tzaddik and we bring our prayers to the tzaddik. Now, what happens when people believe, no, I'm the big man on the campus. I know what to do. Okay, excuse me, sir. Do you know where to take your prayers? I pray to do, do, pray. It's like, like a shot in the dark. Rabbi Nachman is telling us where to take our prayers, and this is it, 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 this is all it, it's all backed up in the in the Torah. Okay, so we say that the Mishkan and the Shechina they're one aspect, which is the divine presence in the tabernacle, and not even Betzal or, or Beholiav could build the build the tabernacle. They needed Moses to do that, and the jewels of all the jewels and the and the gold. All the jewels, like even the, the breastplate, the, the, the high priest breastplate, all, all these jewels. You know what these jewels are? These jewels are our prayers. It's our powerful prayers. Our powerful prayers are the jewels that build the holy tabernacle. And these are the parts of divine presence, the limbs. Okay, so that's it. Once again, that we said to Moses, Moses, that's uh, Moses himself. And that's the Torah we learned. The Torah we learned through Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and the Arizal and the Baal Shem Tov, and Rabbi Nachman. So now we continue on. We're up to the letter Zion in the Hebrew. And Rabbi Nachman says like this, Wow. Rabbi Nachman has taken off the gloves. He says, he says, for all the Torah that a person studies, what is the powerful Torah we study? Not that we're sitting, okay, we're all sitting together. And then tomorrow night, uh, everybody's going to go to cocktail parties and, and talk about Kabbalistic terms and what we learned and this and that. No. The Torah we're learning, the Torah we're learning is to pray better. And when we pray, you know what the most powerful prayer is? The most powerful prayer Rabbi Nachman is saying, say, Hashem Almighty, let me implement what I learned. You pray for what you learn. Let it become a part of me. I learn about humility. Let me be humble. I learn about prayer. Let me have the, the will to pray and to pray powerfully. I learn about justice. Let me be a just person. Stay away. Stay away from the, the extremes. Okay. And so we say what happens is when we take the words of the Torah we learn and here's something else very special. You know how many letters there are in the Torah? 
600,000. Do you know how many sources of souls there are? 600,000. When you learn a letter of Torah, the letter, the soul that corresponds to that letter shines. That's the name of tonight's lesson, shining soul. When you learn Torah, the soul shines. And when you come back and, and the soul shines and it shines within you. And it, when it comes on fire, your soul shines too. Because when something is shining within you, you can't be darkness. So your soul shines also. When your soul shines, then your prayer becomes more powerful. It's like uh, the difference between a 20-watt light bulb but a 2,000-watt light bulb. Okay, And this is uh, all brought forth. This is the, what happens when we pray and the souls shine. Where do the souls come from? The mother of the souls, I'll show you at the end, we're going to conclude today's lesson with the diagram we've made up. The mother of the souls is the divine presence, the Shrina. Our souls come from her. So when our souls start shining, it becomes what's called an ebor. It's like a pregnancy. Our souls are reborn again because they come again, they come back on a higher level. So what's talking about? When you go to sleep, your soul leaves you. You wake up and you've done a good job the day before. Uh, beloved brother, beloved sister, you're waking up with a brand new soul. And this is what we say every morning. Elokai, neshama, shantate tori. You gave me, you gave me a brand new holy soul. And this is what King David says in Psalms: Chadashim lebkarim that our souls are renewed in the morning, and because of Hashem zemuna, Hashem has faith in us, just like we have faith in Him. Hashem renews our souls, and if we've done a good job, and we prayed, and we learned Torah, we come back on a higher level. And this is why, why Rabbi Nachman died. People say, well, he had a tuberculosis. He died at 38. He did so much 38. Why did he die at 38? Rabbi Nachman says his life was not a life if he couldn't go higher and higher and higher every day. But as he got to age 38, he said he couldn't go any higher in that body. He says, I've got to give my soul back upstairs. I, I can't go higher. And I can't stay on the same level because that's for me a spiritual death. Because every day I stay closer to Hashem, close to Hashem. This is the greatest aspiration we can aspire for. And it doesn't matter that we're talking about Amuna. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or a Noahide. To aspire every day, I want to get closer to the Almighty. I want to get closer to Hashem. Hashem is our Father in Heaven. But can, can you imagine your, your son or your daughter, they come and sits on your lap and, and, and looks in your eyes and your little 10-year-old daughter and she says, Daddy, I want to get close to you. I want to get closer to you and close to you, Daddy. I, help me love you more. <laughs> Mom, your little seven-year-old Mikey sits on your lap. Mom, how can I love you more? How can I do more for you? Your heart melts. This invokes such divine confidence, uh, the, the divine compassion. Hashem, that he's willing, he wants to give it to us. But Hashem can't give us 100 watts, put it in a 60-watt bulb, because the bulb is going to blow. And, and this makes a person crazy. If a person goes above his level and not prepared himself as a worthy spiritual vessel, it's going to blow him apart. And this is what the meaning we talked about, the soul's shine. So what happens when the soul shine? Rabbi Nachman continues, and he quotes Psalm 19. Hashemayim mesaprim kvod kel, that the, the heavens declare the glory of Hashem. So what's in the glory of Hashem? The glory of Hashem, that's Shemaim, is the heavens. What is Shemaim? It comes from two words, Esh and Maim. comes from the word Esh and my Esh is fire and Maim is water. So Shemaim, the heavens, comes from fire and water. And fire and water, this is, Rabbi Nachman says, this aspect of the souls, that the souls 
are fire and water. Now they come into the prayer. As soon as the soul comes into prayer and the soul jams itself into the prayer and it's directed prayer, then it's in the middle. And if the soul doesn't have the prayer, then the soul can go to side to the far, to the side of water, which is the right side. And that is the unholy side of Ishmael or to the left side, too far to the left side, which is the unholy side of Asaph, and they get knocked out of holiness. Prayer to the Almighty keeps us in holiness. To stay in holiness after prayer and prayer and prayer and more prayer, not stop praying. And this is the meaning, that the, but this is the glory of the Almighty, and we pray to him. And this is also the soul, and, and the soul which clothes itself in the prayer. Okay, so now... Rabbi Nachman says, Hanashamot, Hem Atfila, Shnikra Kavod, that the prayer, when the soul binds itself with prayer, this is glory for the Almighty. And this is like a gown for the divine presence. When the soul comes into prayer, imagine that when the divine presence, we're in diaspora and we don't have Mashiach, we don't have a holy temple, and the holy temple is not built. And the divine presence is in exile. In exile. When we pray, we make the divine presence beautiful, and she becomes more beautiful to the next personification over her, which is Malchut, up to Yesod. Yesod, we learned in the personifications there on page, referred to our chart from last week. And then we have the holy union, and more souls are born, and the, the the perfect divine union. In other words, our union down here, the marital union, it's a metaphor for the divine union. It's a metaphor for something completely spiritual. And that's why that is something, a very holy act. And the whole world makes it a vulgar act. With that very, very, very holy act. It's very holy act. And so you don't just jump into it. There's preparation. It's got to be in holiness and the right time of the month. And every, there's so many laws that, that govern this. Because it's just a metaphor of, of the divine union and the souls coming together and they clothe the, the divine presence and they calls a garment. And just like uh, the Gemara in Tractate Shabbos, Rabbi Yochanan called in Aramaic, he called his Shabbat cloak Machbeduta. This is my my glory. This is my honor. So we say that uh, the honor of the divine presence is what clothes her and makes her beautiful. We're going to see this more. So what Rabbi Nachman now says, that once the souls that are bound up within the words of prayer, and they come to the tzaddik of the generation, the Moses of the generation, and they come to him like these jewels, and he knows how to build build the heavenly t- t- tabernacle and this brings it. so let's review and with just what we, we learned i'm going to explain this again i know it's difficult to understand trying to be very slow and clear right the sphere of malchut corresponds to the moon the sphere of malchut has no light of her own okay the divine presence has no light of her own the sphere the upper sphere zeranpi that corresponds to the sun the sun lights on the moon. When she's not attractive, he doesn't light on her. And she stays dark and she stays in exile. And that's our situation today. We're all in exile. 
we're in, in exile here in Israel. We've got a secular government. We don't have the uh, we don't have a Muna. We don't have uh, our holy temple. We try personally to have a Muna. We, we want personally. I would bring my personal Mashiach and try to build my my holy temple. Okay, but there's as a nation we don't have it. As a nation, the mother of our souls. As a nation, we're in exile. And even though, okay, the people, the independent state of Israel is not the kingdom of David. What we hope for and pray for and wish for is the kingdom of David that would be governed according to the law of Torah. Not that uh, it's a secular government that has secular laws that have no connection to Torah. Sometimes they're very anti-Torah. So the sphere of Malchut, which is the sphere of divine presence, has no light of her own. It can only get light of her above from the higher spheres and emanations. So as you get that, now Rabbi Nachman explains from Kabbalah, there are two ways to get that. She gets light from above, but what if she's not attractive? So now we have what's called feminine waters. Feminine waters, imagine that we are cosmetologists, okay? We're representatives of Estee Lauder, Helena Rubinstein, and we go, I'm going to be very... Just this is a, a metaphor, and again, metaphor, 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 help us understand. Imagine that the Shekhinah, the divine presence, she's this beautiful woman dressed in a potato sack, and her hair is all disheveled, and she's got dirt on her face, and she had, she's been like, we go, hey, wait a second, we got to clean you up, we have to dress you in new clothes and, and put makeup on you, and, and this, so we're, we're going to we're going to groom her and dress her. And this is called what we give her to groom her and dress her. This is called feminine waters. And feminine waters, because they come from below, there are two ways of influence. So our influence through us and our prayers are feminine waters. They go up. We dress the divine presence because now that she's dressed, she goes up to the higher personification and she says, look at me, I'm beautiful. Don't look at me, I'm ugly, like King Solomon says. King Solomon's Song of Songs is all a metaphor of exactly what we're talking about here. In, excuse me, it's exactly a metaphor of what we're talking about here in Torah 2. Okay, don't look at me that I'm ugly, I'm beautiful. I'm beautiful. Okay, so now that from above, that she is beautiful. So now she's lifted, uplifted by the above personification. And that uplifts together with their union. That goes even higher. And it goes all the way up to the personification we can't even understand, which is Keter. And what happens when Keter gets this beauty? Keter is stimulated. And now Keter gives a downward flow of abundance back down to us, which is called masculine waters, because that's the influence from above to below. That's masculine water. And the feminine water is from us Above, because this, so we'll soon see, and we're going to see. So now what happens, we learn that prayer has two powers. Prayer can build the full entity of the Shekhinah, the sphere of Malchut. Okay, that's the holy side of Malchut. Not only that, but it can subjugate the dark side, which is the far right, uh, which is the Klippa of Ishmael, and the far left. All right, so now to understand, if you have your printout from today. So let's see. Here we go. So here we have a double flow. See, we have a flow from bottom to the top. The flow from bottom to the top, 
That is called in Aramaic, the Zohar calls it eteruta de letate. That is when we cut, we come, we initiate the flow. When we initiate the flow here, we bring our prayers. Our prayers go up here to Malchut. And our prayers go up here to Malchut and they dress. These are the feminine waters because they come from us. And then this goes up. We take this, we connect ourselves to the Moses. We go up one level higher. And at this level, Moses builds the, the, the top floor. Moses builds the floor of the, the Shechina and the Mishkan, which is one. And then this goes up even higher. And it's a stimulation. Yesod, yesod is a stimulation of uh, the divine union. And once the divine union, that goes up to Tiferet, the divine beauty. And Tiferet carries up to the Keter, which is way beyond our understanding. Once it gets up to the Keter, now Keter doesn't be beholding. Keter drops in abundance. Keter's only good. Keter drops abundance down to Tiferet. Tiferet brings it back down to Yesod, where it's important for us to maintain, to receive this abundance. We have to maintain our personal holiness. Otherwise, it gets lost. The soul brings it down to Malchut, and Malchut brings it right back down to our souls. Now, when our souls don't do the right thing, we get kicked off to the left, and kicked off to the left, that's the side of fire, that's the side of Asaph, unholiness, and are kicked off to the right, and that's the right side, which is the side of Ishmoel. Asaph is the side of heresy, where there's no Amuna. Ishmoel is the side of fake Amuna. Oh, I, don't know, I need a prayer. I believe in Hashem. Okay, so that's here. And this is the influence that's triggered by the abundance from below. This poster will be posted on laserbeams.com in our replay. Uh, tried my very best to keep Rabbi Nachman's teachings eye level. But just a brief thing, we know very briefly, our prayers, when we connect our prayers to Moses, the Moses of the generation, and we connect ourselves to one another, then we uplift them and we build the holy presence. And in turn, we get back tremendous divine abundance. Okay, so next week, Hashem, next week, uh, we hope to complete Torah 2 uh, with Hashem's loving grace in another week from this coming Motzei Shabbat, this coming Saturday night. We're going to be on a plane to the United States. We'll be for a week in Los Angeles and three days in Chicago. And then New Jersey and then New York on laserbeams.com. You can see all the information, the posters, or uh, this will all, all be advertised. And on Friends of Laser Brody on Facebook, Friends of Laser Brody, if you're not in Friends of Laser Brody, please join us. You have all the posters are all up there. Okay, and we'd love to have everybody. Everybody's welcome. So uh, hope to see you back next week. And meanwhile, have a wonderful week. Now, Anybody who wants to is invited to ask a question. We still got some time. We'll make some time for questions. Uh, one thing also, after our lesson next week, uh, our USA trip is going to take up right up to Rosh Hashanah, right up to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So our next Likute Moran lesson will probably be after the high holidays. We'll let you know. We have our WhatsApp group, and we're so happy to everybody be on the WhatsApp. But if you don't belong to the WhatsApp group, join a WhatsApp group. Uh, Rabbi Wolby will tell you how to do it. There's there's a link up there, and we'd love to have you. And this is binding together. It's really big power. We bind together. Okay, so good to see all of you, and everybody's welcome to ask whatever they like. Okay, wherever you feel it is worthy. 
Whatever okay. you feel is worthy. Okay. The, the the key word is worthiness. All right. Like I said, you don't want to give it to, to you don't want to give it to, to drug addicts. You don't want to give it to unless that it's for re- rehab. Okay. But it, uh, worthy people that are truly needy for causes that are truly needy. And uh, I'll tell you what, like what Rabbi Wolby and I are, are doing that, that we deal with needy people. Uh, it's people that are have poverty of the soul. That's even worse than poverty of the body. It's easy to feed a person. It's easy to buy food for them. But when a person has a hungry soul, then uh, they're going to have all kinds of problems and anxiety and stress. They don't know how to deal with the world. And Amuna and closeness to Shem deals as treats the world. That's what we're doing in uh, everyone's every diff- different form of the, of the outreach work that we do. And I can't tell you, one of my biggest joys and what I do even I did in Amuna is uh, on the way. How many suicides that uh, stop? This person discovers a Shem, discovers a reason for living. And a person never knew that he had a father in heaven that loves him. The whole world hated him. So hold it, hold it. Time out in the field. You know, and I put that, uh, put those pills down. Put that, 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 uh, interesting story. A family in Colorado, the guy is in Denver, he had the car dealer, car dealer. And uh, he put, he put a, one of my CDs in his car. And the name of the CD was Hashem Loves You. There's one of my favorite CDs. One of my most famous ones of way back when in the time of CDs before MP3s. And a guy bought a car that same day and he bought a car. It was pretty expensive. And he figured that uh, what he was going to do with the car, he planned to run himself off a mountain. He wanted to commit suicide that night, heaven forbid. And he got everything prepared that the insurance, he made sure to get insurance, to get a lot of insurance in the car, to get a lot of life insurance. His wife would be taken care of. But uh, uh, the dealer that was trying out the car in a test ride, he left one of my CDs in that car. So the guy took the car home and from amazing, from Shemaim, when three o'clock in the morning, he went out, he was going to go out and drive up to one of these rocky mountains and go off a cliff. And he turned on the car and he hears this voice that you hear now and says, hold it, my brother, where are you going? Do you know that Shem loves you? I said, what? Who said voice? <laughs> Before he realized it was CD. Yeah, yeah, Hashem loves you. You can't, Hashem loves you. You're his only son. He's got no other son like you. Doesn't matter how many children that parent has, it's only one. Well, he listened to the whole CD and, and he cried for two hours. And it was always six in the morning. He came back in the house and and uh hung the keys back up, had his new car, and and his wife had a husband back, and he started learning about a moon. This is a Denver, Colorado true story. And uh, this is the Miller family. They own the car dealership. <laughs> it's it's amazing. So what did I use? The person saves life. And I'm talking about divorces and the couple doesn't know that, about Amuna and, and all, all types of things. It's just when you give somebody spirituality, you give them life. You give them life. Uh, and and it, it keeps on going. You give a loaf, a loaf of bread. A loaf of bread, okay, it's good. Good for a couple hours. A couple hours and need another loaf of bread. <laughs> but that's we need that also with our prayers. Singing and dancing, sure, for sure. That's rejoice. Sure thing. It's right in the Torah. But uh, uh, men are not allowed in our society. Men are not allowed to look at women dancing. Okay. Because uh, a guy, hey, wait a second. He sees this very attractive dancer. And then he goes home to his mom, the, the dancer. She's, a, she's, she's like an athlete. 
Okay. She's got the, the body of an athlete. And uh, if she's fat, she's a size four. And then he goes home to his uh, Rifkala and she's a size 14. And uh, he's got the image of the dancer. That's not good. That's not good. So arts for what can be for mutual thing. Also, a man is not allowed to listen to a woman singing. Because it, it, it's very, it's tantalizing. Women can listen to men singing. Okay. Women can listen to men singing. Yeah. Because women aren't, uh, it doesn't make them crazy listening to a man singing. Okay. So it's a, but, but the performing arts, that's why you see when you mentioned Miriam dancing with Tambri, she was dancing with the women. She was singing with the women, Moses with the men and Miriam with the women. That's right. So certainly performing arts and uh, art, for example, art and music, uh, man is allowed for a woman that plays like a violin, woman plays symphony orchestra. Okay, you can listen to symphony music played by women artists, just not their singing. Okay, because you're listening, you're not seeing faces, you're listening to the, you're listening to the orchestra. And you can certain that uh, art, painting art, you, know, you can sure you can see paintings by it, it doesn't matter, because you but it's just looking at the image of a woman, as we learned in uh, 13 Principle Muna, and we also learned it again in Bond of Amuna on Amuna Hour, that Bond of Amuna is one soul binding to another. And as soon as a man gets in the head an image of another woman, that weakens the bond with his own wife. You don't want to do that. And one woman, don't try and tantalize a married man. Because up in heaven, it's, you, you're weakening that woman's relationship. You're stealing from her, okay? And just to, for your ego, you want to turn yourself off. No, does the guy smile at you? You say, tell you're so beautiful. No, no, no. Be as beautiful. Shut the door to your house. Be Miss, Miss America for your husband. Okay, outside, tone it down. Tone it down. It could be knock, it'd be a knockout. Miss knockout, walk on the monitor, walk, prance around your husband all day long. Is that... But that on the outside, no. Okay? Everyone should have a wonderful week. Look forward to seeing you next week. And God bless wherever you are. And my blessing has got you in a, the, the basketball is in a full court press. Okay? We love you all. And so do, <laughs> Hashem loves you all. And so do we. And God bless. Look forward to seeing you next week on Likute Moran. Good Shabbos. Bye-bye.